one. Heavenly Father, we confess now in prayer, even as we just confessed in song, that Thou and Thou alone must save. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. The cross of Jesus Christ is our only hope. We have no hope in ourselves. Our merit cannot save us. There is nothing that we can do. Our hope is in the cross of Christ alone. And we rejoice in that. And we pray that even this evening as we look at this passage, that we would be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. That you would be honored in all that is said and done. Heavenly Father, we pray that even this evening you would be uh, that with, with the Goodwin family, with Jim and Janice, that they would even have a, a special helping of grace. We know that you give mercy each day. And we know tomorrow is going to be a very difficult day for them as they come to the, the funeral of Marilyn. Just pray that you'd be honored in that. Give them grace even this evening. Give them peace that passes understanding. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 61. I invite you to join me there if you're not there already. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praises to your name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. Psalm 61, it's likely a recognizable psalm. If not, there's probably phrases in there that you recognize. Um, Spurgeon said of this psalm, this psalm is a pearl. It is, a little but it is little but precious. To many a mourner it has, it has furnished utterance when the mind could not have devised speech for itself. Indeed, the psalm is a pearl. The setting, most likely, as you look at it, it seems to be most likely during Absalom's rebellion. David has been chased from his throne into exile. The king is not on his throne. Seems to be the setting of the first four verses, but then the last four verses, he's restored. He is back. There's really two, if you look at this as a song, there's two verses to this song. Verse 1 would be verses 1 through 4. David cries out to God in verses 1 to 2, and then verses 3 to 4, it's a confession of his confidence in God. 
Then in verse 2, we have God's faithfulness and David promises faithfulness. So we look at verse 1 of this psalm, of this song. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. This is David's request. And when you look at the situation in which he finds himself, if this is in the midst of Absalom's rebellion, as David has been driven from his throne, it's a desperate cry. Hear my cry, O God. We see this in the Psalms a lot, do we not? David, desperately crying for his God. Hear me. See me, don't leave me out here alone, but don't just hear me, respond, attend to my prayer. Spurgeon, again, on these verses noted, he said, those who, uh, some along the lines of those who love religion, they're fine with going through the motions, just crying out to God. But those who love God desperately need a response. It's not just about going through the motions. You are crying out to a God who hears, a God who sees. And David knows that. And so he cries out to God, hear my cry, O God. And then respond, attend to my prayer. Notice verse 2, from the ends of the earth. This is where a lot of the... uh, idea comes that David has been driven from the throne. This is what a lot of people look to, to to tie this to Absalom's rebellion. David is from the end of the earth. He's been driven from his throne. He's been driven from Jerusalem. He He is out. He is away from his throne where he needs to be. He is in exile. And yet, even in the ends of the earth, I will cry to you. Even in exile, wherever I am, hear me, O God. Not just where I am, but hear me when I cry to you. Even when my heart is overwhelmed. Even when I don't feel like it. In whatever state I am, I will cry to you. There's a resolve in David here. He finds himself in a difficult situation, and yet he is resolved, even in the midst of this, I will cry to you. Hear me, God. I will cry to you. Hear me and respond. In the midst of the, in, in the, the ends of the earth, hear me. I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, hear me because I will cry to you. I love this next phrase. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What a statement. What a request. It shows his total dependence on God. Lead me. Here I am, God. I am on the ends of the earth. I've been driven from my throne. My heart is overwhelmed. I need you to lead me. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, to the rock that I cannot get to on my own. Take me where I cannot go myself. Do what only you can do. 
Oh, that this would be the prayer on our lips. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I can't get there on my own. I can't do it in my own strength. Lead me, Lord. Lift me from the depths of my tired soul, from my fear-filled heart. Lead me to the glorious hope that I have in you. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me. Notice that David now draws confidence from God's faithfulness in the past. How can a man... A king who's been driven from his throne, who's had everything stripped away. His son is the one who's led this rebellion against him. How can he cry out to God with hope? Why is he even still crying out to that God? If, if that God cared, wouldn't he have protected David? Wouldn't he have kept him on his throne? Yet even still, even here, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. How can he still pray this? For you have been a shelter for me. You have been. David's confidence, even in the midst of all this that is going against him, of everything that seems to have turned for the worst, his confidence is in what God has done. The faithfulness that he has seen in the past. That's what he clings to. You have been a shelter for me. And many times in my life, many dark valleys that I've walked through, you have been a shelter. And many storms in which I've found myself, you have been a shelter for me. But not just a shelter. Shelter can take all kinds of forms. A shelter can be rickety. A shelter can be barely anything. Not just a shelter, but a strong tower from the enemy. Not just a reprieve, but a defense. A strong tower. A solid defense. I will abide in your presence forever. We've talked about that word abide recently in John. It means to remain, to stay in. I will abide in your tabernacle, your presence forever. That's a fascinating statement. When you, when you look at what many people think is the context of this psalm where David has been driven from Jerusalem, he's been driven from the tabernacle, he's in the wilderness, he's in exile, and yet even there he cries out to his God, he knows that he will hear him, and he says, even here I will abide in your presence, in your tabernacle, where you are. Regardless of my location, I will worship, I will hope, I will cry out to you, and you will hear And yet there's even in this a, a hope that goes beyond the immediate. You're not just my hope in the here and now. You're not just my hope here in this exile. I know that I will abide in your presence, in your tabernacle, where you dwell forever. Even if, 
Even if I never get back to Jerusalem, even if I stay in exile for the rest of my life, I know when I dwell, when I die, I will go to where God dwells and I will dwell there forever with him. David's hope is not in the immediate. It's not in being restored to his throne. It is in God. Therefore, I will trust in the shelter of your wings. I love that last phrase. It takes the the shelter and the strong tower of verse 3, and it takes it from a distant and a cold shelter to an intimate, warm, and loving shelter. This is not a building that you've set me in. You have covered me with your wings and brought me near. I will trust in you. Selah. He pauses. He reflects. He remembers. Notice, if you will, even the breakdown as I went through that. Verse 1 is David's request. Hear me. Attend to my prayer. Then verse 2 is David's responsibility. What he will do. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Going into his request again. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And then his responsibility. I will abide in your tabernacle. I will trust. David's going back and forth between crying out to God. What he knows to be true. Hear my cry. Lead me to what he will do in the interim. While he's waiting. I will abide. I will trust. I will cry. So verse, these first four verses is David crying out to God. But then as you come to verses 5 to 8, you have a shift. In verses 5 to 7, he focuses on the fact that God will be faithful. For you, O God, have heard. You have heard my vows, the promises that I have made. You have heard what I have said. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name, the inheritance of those who fear your name. Once again, David knows that he is God's, and David finds comfort in God's promises. I have an inheritance. You have heard me. And I know that I have an inheritance. As you look at that that verse there, you have given me a heritage of those who fear your name. That is a song that we who are in Christ can join with David, is it not? We have an inheritance. As 1 Peter 1, 3-4 says, we have a living hope, an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away. We have that same hope. In the midst of trial, in the midst of betrayal, when things don't make sense, when life hurts, we have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that cannot be taken away. David knew that the promises that God made to him could not be touched. They could not be taken away. I can be driven from my throne I can be sent into exile, and yet I know what God has promised will somehow come to pass. I know where I will dwell. 
I know that someone in my line will sit on that throne. In fact, that's exactly where he goes next in verse 6. You will prolong the king's life. His years as major generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. It's a clear reference to the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, 10 to 16. God, you have made a promise that someone in my line will be on the throne forever. I know you will keep that. I know you will. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. David recognizes that fulfillment of God's promise to him is dependent on God and not on him. It's not, it's not a, it, it is God who promised it and it is God who will sustain and who will accomplish it. It is God who will prepare mercy and truth. It is God that will, prepare, that will preserve the king. It is God that will make him to abide before God forever. God will keep the promise that he has given David. And we have that hope. We might have a different promise, but we have the same God. We have a sure hope that the inheritance that he has promised us in Christ is sure. So, verse 8, David responds. He responds to what he knows to be true, that God will fulfill his promises, that David has an inheritance, that God has heard him. So, I will sing praises to your name forever. I will praise you that I may daily perform my vows. I will be faithful. I will praise you and I will be faithful because I know who you are, because I know what you have promised, because I know what you will do. And so even in exile, even when I'm driven from the throne, regardless of what is going on around me, what I know to be true leads me to praise you and to be faithful wherever I am. Notice also the focus on eternity. In verse 4, I will abide in your tabernacle, in your presence, where you dwell. I will abide there forever. Verse 7, he shall abide, this king shall abide before God forever. Verse 8, I will sing praises to your name forever. David's hope is an eternal hope. David can sing in this situation because his hope is an eternal hope. It's not tied to something being fulfilled before he dies. It's eternal. It will happen. He will be in the presence of God. He will sing praises to his name forever, whether on earth or in eternity. So as you come to the end of, this, of these eight verses, you see this simple truth that David finds hope in God's promises, regardless Regardless of the situations, David finds hope in God's promises. In good times, David finds hope in God's promises. In bad times, David finds hope in God's promises. In times that make no sense, David finds hope in God's promises.
And we have that same hope. Our God is faithful. You may say, well, what what has he promised me? What do I have to cling to? What do I have to hold on to? Right? Because life is bumpy. Life is up and down. You will go through times when this psalm is something that you will cling to. When life doesn't make sense. And in those times, what do you have to cling to? You don't have a, a, a special, you know, David had the Davidic covenant. You don't have the, the Ron covenant. So what can you cling to? Here's God's promises to you. Salvation to all who trust in Christ. Salvation by faith alone. Romans 1, 16 to 17. He promises you comfort in trials. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. He promises you peace that passes understanding. Philippians 4, 6 to 7, as you seek him, as you pray to him. He promises to finish the work in you that he has begun. Philippians 1, 6. He promises that you have all that you need for life and godliness. And 2 Peter 1, Ephesians 1, 3. He promises to work all things for your good. Romans 8, 28. He promises to never leave you or forsake you. The end of Romans 8, Hebrews 13, 5. We have a promise that Christ is coming again. John 14, 2 to 3. We've been looking at that as we've been going through John. There's a promise that justice will be done. It will come. Romans 12, 19 to 21. There's a promise that the church will triumph. Matthew 16, 17 to 19. There's a promise of joy regardless of circumstances in John 15, 11, that your joy may be full. There's a promise that God will hear and answer your prayers, John 15, 16. And there are many more promises. That's just the 12 that I had time this afternoon to track down. Know the promises and cling to the promises. <coughs> because your God is faithful. And what he promises will come to pass. He always fulfills his promises. So we have hope. We have something to cling to. What do we do? Verse 8. So, because I know who you are, so I will sing praises to your name that I may perform my vows. This is what you do. Because you know who God is, you praise him and you obey. You praise him and you are faithful. Because your God is faithful. Because he has given you promises. Cling to those promises and praise him and obey him. Looks like I have another favorite psalm. And we'll see about Psalm 62 next week. Well, actually, we